Uh, um, so how much is that? Welcome to the Podcast Editor's Mastermind. This is the business podcast for you, the professional podcast editor. And if you want more, you can find us at podcasteditorsmastermind.com. This week, Callie Wright's joining us to talk with us about actually a whole bunch of stuff. You can find them at Podcasts That Don't Suck. And before we get to that, I'm Brian Ensminger. I'm Jennifer Longworth. I'm Carrie Caulfield-Eric. I am Daniel Abendroth. And I am the aforementioned Callie Wright. Callie, it's great to have you here. You are the first person we've had edit one of our shows. So I'm really interested to get some of your thoughts as an outsider. But you also had some things that you wanted to talk about in terms of people that brag that they don't edit, maybe some plugins, shows that aren't about anything in particular. So quite a bit to talk about today. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm wondering, can we go ahead and maybe get started and talk about your process as an editor? And then we'll kind of jump in with questions here and there. Yeah, totally. So most of the shows that I edit are like most podcasts. They're sort of like panel discussion interview type shows. And, you know, I'll load everything in. I know a lot of people say that they don't do any sort of like sound shaping or mixing or anything before they start the edit. And I find that that doesn't super work for me. So I feel like that's probably a part of my process that's a little different is I have kind of like a like a basic voice channel strip that I load on to each voice. And then I edit with that. Because what I find is, especially on some of the shows that I have where people who are newer, that kind of stuff, there's maybe some background noise that if you want to get the levels right, you got to compress it. Obviously, that brings the background noise up a little bit. And I find if I don't have whatever noise I'm going to have to deal with, if I don't have that at the right level, when I make edits, it seems mm -hmm. kind of awkward. And so, yeah, so I do a basic, very, very basic. It takes me maybe five to 10 minutes at the very beginning. I'm just like not paying attention to the words or anything. Uh, do a basic mix of each voice. Very basic channel strip stuff. DSer, compressor, subtractive EQ, another compressor, EQ, that kind of stuff. And then once I get that on very basically, I do my edit. And what I've really been focused on a lot lately is more like conversation flow kind of stuff. I know like a lot of people are really, really militant about getting rid of crutch words, you know, the ums and ahs and all that kind of stuff. I find that podcasts that do that tend to sound a little bit robotic to me because people use those words in the course of normal speech, right? So I'm very cognizant of kind of the ethics of making someone sound different than they do in real life via podcast editing. And so like, I'm trying to balance this. What are they trying to say? How are they trying to say it? What is their unique voice uh, versus what's going to make sense and what's going to be the clearest to the listener. So I, I go through all of that. And then that's when I do my real mix and take everything off and kind of start from scratch and do the, the fun little playing around with uh, something that I had mentioned to Daniels. I took advantage of that. Uh, the waves like, pandemic sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the classics collection. That's got the, uh, like the vintage EQ and compressor, the API, the SSL stuff. And that's been a lot of fun. So the spoiler alert is that I got all of that stuff and I played around with it a whole bunch. And for all of your stuff, I ended up using the channel strip that I normally use for things okay. that just seemed to work better. Like I played around with, uh, really, really like the SSL stuff in particular, the SSL comp adds kind of like a low end fatness that I really, really like on certain things. But yeah, I just wasn't, wasn't feeling it for this one. So. so when you use a channel strip, you normally use the SSL channel strip or is there a different channel strip you prefer? My go-to right now is the Sheps Omni channel. Oh yeah. The, it's so good. The thump, I have like a dozen clients 
I think I've literally had maybe one or two voice tracks that it hasn't made sound better using Mm -hmm. that. And I think that was literally, it was like somebody that had called in on the phone or like somebody that was using Apple earbuds that you can't really do a ton with anyways, but just almost universally, it makes it sound better. And the, uh, the FET set, the compressor, the, the FET compressor, it adds this like neat little mid-range pop that almost always works really, really well on voices as well. Interesting. I like the VCA a little bit better, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be an expensive episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so it's on sale right now. If we weren't live streaming, I'd be shopping right now. <laughs> Highly recommended. It's such good stuff. We'll definitely put a link in the show notes, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's my job, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. I'll do it this time. I promise. Okay. Yeah. I mean, my go-to standalone compressor is the CLA-2A, the, the Waves CLA-2A, because it's just, I don't necessarily have like super accurate vocabulary, but it just adds, in almost all cases, it adds kind of an attitude that I really like. It just adds a certain color that I really, really like. Very rarely, I've found it does things that I don't like to certain voices. And lately I've been playing with uh, the API. The API compressor sounds a little bit more transparent to me. Um, it sounds more just like a straight like volume leveling type compressor, whereas the CLA-2A adds some attitude. And that SSL adds kind of like a fat bottom, like smooth sort of bottom end uh, that really, really works with some voices, especially like more baritone voices. Okay. So, Daniel, you looked like you had a question. I don't want to start asking the next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just like absorbing right now because like this is like so far above my skill set. Something, something I want to learn, but just not quite there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I have a background as an audio engineer. I went to a school called The Recording Workshop in uh, 2003 when I graduated high school. It's geared toward music production, but it's, you know, the, the same concepts that we all use. And uh, ran recording studios for a little bit, recorded a bunch of music in you know, my band and for other bands and that kind of stuff. So that's the background that I come from. And so, yeah, I've been an audio nerd forever. What's fun now is that because I, you know, between my podcast and my uh, freelance clients, I actually have a really, really good justifiable reason to spend money on really cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun It's good to have me. an excuse. So in terms of compressors, was there a difference between... The compressor you used for, say, Jennifer or my voices and then Daniel's and Ryan's. Like, I'm always interested in that kind of male-female range. Not so much with compression. Like I said, I played around with a bunch of different, and I ended up sticking with the CLA-2A and then the uh, the Sheps Omnichannel compressor. Most of the difference in the different voices was in the EQ that I used. And seeing the microphones that you're using makes sense because I did because like I did a lot of the same things to your voice that I did to Jennifer's voice, right? Because we have the same microphone, right? That mic tends to have a little bit of extra in the like high mids that I'm not super fond of, and so I usually dial that back a little bit. And there's not a ton of low end, so I usually um, the the thump in Omnichannel is fantastic there. I also use the uh, the JJP the EQP one A. It's a really really sweet uh, EQ. It's subtle, but it adds a lot. Um, I usually like around five or eight K. I add a little bit of, uh, of boost to get the, the sort of airiness that you get in that frequency range. But something else that I've been doing a little bit that I did a little bit with your guys stuff as well is the EQP one. I has, um, I usually do a, a high pass at right around 100, but also right at 100, I'll use the EQP one a to boost like two or three DB right at hundred Hertz. 
And that just adds some sort of like low indie sort of radio type sound that I, I had to do a little bit more for you and Jennifer that I had to do for uh, Daniel or uh, Brian. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious, like what all you did for my voice. Well, you know what? I'm So I'm using Audition to record my thing. I was going to say I could open up the project and look. <laughs> like I said, I, I used the same basic channel strip for everyone. I just did the, the settings a little bit differently. And so for yours, there's a lot of top in your mic. And so I pulled that down a little bit. I think the, the um, if I'm remembering right, the top sounded like it set at like 7 or 8K-ish. And I pulled back on that subtly. The, the problem with doing that at the top is that's also kind of where the S sounds uh, sit. And so, you know, if you do that too much, you can kind of make someone sound like they have a lisp when they yeah. don't. Uh, and there's there's <laughs> nothing wrong with having a lisp, but I don't want to make someone sound like they have one when they don't. Right. <laughs> so I pulled down the top a little bit. There's kind of a peak at 1.5, 2K-ish. That's kind of where like the shrill high mids sit that I, uh, I I dialed that back. I think I actually ended up dialing that back on everyone except Brian. Uh, I actually didn't really? have to do a, Yeah, I didn't have to do a lot to yours except uh, just some basic uh, compression yeah. to okay. uh, to just kind of even out the levels a little bit. I use Vocal Writer and then CLA-2A and then the Shep's Omni channel to get it like super, super even. Okay. I was going to ask what you did to mine. I tend to take out a little bit of the low mids myself, probably around 300 or so with like a low shelf. Mm-hmm. And then I tend to add a little bit of presence around that five to eight range. Yeah, that makes sense. This mic, I'm not, I've only had this mic for about four weeks now, so I'm not 100% dialed in on mm-hmm. this because it does have a bit of that presence boost already in the mic. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to be careful not to do too much, but I also don't like to vary too much. There's just, there's a really, really pleasant kind of low uh, that comes from that. There's just like a, a warmth, I guess. And I mean, audio words are, are silly because they mean yeah. different things to everyone else, but there's just, there's a really sort of pleasant low end, like low mid kind of warmth that comes from that. that like, it's really, really nice to listen to. Cool. Michael or Mikhail had a, uh, a question about whether or not we could play the clips before and after. That would have been a really good idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah but I have, I, know, I, right? I have my doll open recording what we're doing now, <laughs> unfortunately. Now we know for next time. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we can go back and put it up, right? Well, I, I guess the thing I would say is that the plan was to have the episode published so that you could listen to it first. However, we're having some challenges with the integration between podcast websites and Captivate, which are both owned by the same company. And so our <laughs> this week's post is sitting in in support ticket land right now, which is embarrassing oh. for a podcast editor because this is like what we do. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's where it is. So it's real. The struggle is real. It looks like you're using a shotgun mic. Yeah, yeah, the AT-875R. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah in the right environment, though, because I've had to troubleshoot it before. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it turned out it was way too powerful and sensitive for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to yeah. know what you're doing. Like, <clears throat> for folks who are who are kind of just start getting started, I'm like, get an SM58 and a Scarlet Solo, and you're, like, good to go. <laughs> you're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, a Scarlet, is, or not Scarlet, an SM58 is on my shopping list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love shotguns because obviously like pre pandemic, it's my favorite thing in the world is to like get out into the world and like interview people face to face and get tape of things happening in real life. You know, I obviously do plenty of remote recording, but my preference is to like be in the same room as someone. And I really like, I actually, 
at the very beginning of the year, I did an, uh, an episode of my own show about like what my goals were for this year. And one of them was, I want like 50% or more of the time. I want to be like in the world with mics in front of a person with mics in front of things happening in the real world, which is great. It's my favorite way to podcast. Obviously we can't do that now, but, uh, but it also sounds really nice for stuff like this. It's not, you know, it's not obtrusive. You don't have to have it like right up here on your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking at me, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, like we're doing a thing about podcasting, so it makes sense. But, you know, it's nice for when I'm doing live streams that aren't this sort of focused. Uh, And it's also nice when you're interviewing somebody face to face. Uh, You don't have to get it like right up here, especially like if somebody's not super comfortable on mic. It's really easy to hold it, you know, like down here at their chest and then just like look me in the eye and the mic disappears and you can get comfortable and forget we're recording. Oh, uh, Brian, so Amita on my, because I'm rebroadcasting to my personal Facebook page, she has a question. What microphone are you currently using in front of you? (laughs) Yeah, this is the Lewitt LCT 440 Pure. It retails for about $270, and I trolled Amazon for a really long time until I found one for about 50% off, which is, I don't know that I would out of hand recommend buying used gear for everyone, but... I'm of the opinion that if somebody's going to get rid of it, I might as well use it rather than having them manufacture another one and use up more resources. Respect it. I like that. And also it saved me 130 bucks. (laughs) Which is never a bad thing. Always in favor of that. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I see it on sale somewhere for $269. Or four easy payments. Of- <laughs> Are you on Sweetwater? <laughs> yeah, it's a good say. No, that's on Sweetwater. this is uh, ZZ Sounds, which I've never heard of, but I'm putting it up. Now, Sweetwater will do like 48 payments of a dollar. <laughs> yeah, but you have to make every month. You can't prepay anything or you owe all the extra interest. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, I didn't have that problem. I just, I, though I did pay it all off at once, they were, they were okay with that. Callie, you do some, I think, live editing also on Twitch. What's, what's the deal with that? You know, I don't normally, it was a thing that I, oh, okay. um, just because like, you know, lots of folks are stuck at home and I thought like, why not put it on Twitch and see if anybody's interested? Uh, cause I have, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of friends who do podcasts, uh, and I have, uh, I even have like folks who listen to my podcast, ask me questions about like how I do, how I do what I do, what my production process is like and that kind of stuff. And so I just thought like, it'd be a fun thing. I'm, you know, fortunate enough to still have work. Uh, I've lost a little bit as a result of the, um, you know, as a result of COVID-19, but I'm still, um, mostly, I mean, I'm still working full time really. Um, and so I thought like, you know, just put it out there and see if it's something that's interesting to anyone. Um, I actually got the idea from, uh, I went to Patreon a couple of years ago, the Patreon creators convention. I met a YouTuber there whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, but he said that he would do that, uh, one as a way to keep himself focused. So if he's like live streaming his editing process to Twitch, he's not going to like be wasting time on Facebook. So it's like a way to keep him focused, which like I'm like actively seeking a diagnosis to see if I have ADHD, because that's something that I legitimately struggle with is like staying focused and that kind of stuff. And so I thought like it'd be a really cool tool to, to try to stay focused, give people a little bit of insight into like what it actually looks like. And, and I know like lots of people like to kind of just have something on in the background while they're doing other things. And I thought maybe that would be an interesting thing to do. And so, yeah, I would just kind of narrate like what I was doing and sort of play the episode along. I haven't done it a ton. 
because obviously I want to get permission from the clients that I, uh, whose stuff that I use. I, I streamed an episode of my podcast, which the, the show that I do is uh, narrative focused. It's not an interview type panel type show normally. And so I do lots of really in-depth, intricate editing and I do scoring and sometimes sound design for my show. And so there's like a little bit more to it. And I was just kind of explaining my process and thinking like, you know, drop a song in like, oh, that sounds terrible. I'm not going to use that song or, you know, trying to figure out like, cool, I'm going to spend 15 minutes getting this breath right. This is riveting (laughs) content right here. And I had a a client, I just kind of asked like, hey, would you be cool with this? Uh, It's a a pop culture ethics show that I do, which is really, really neat. And he said, yeah, but OBS is a processor hog. And I noticed that it was kind of slowing my computer down (laughs) when I was doing Uh, it. Um, And then, you know, when I was uh, looking at what it was doing, especially like when I start running some of the isotope stuff, it's like... (laughs) You know, I hit the space bar and it takes half a second for my stuff to start playing. And I'm just like, yes. oh, I don't know about that. Yes. And Audition has a problem with the Isotope plugin specifically. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always the case. I don't guess a few updates ago, I started noticing it. But I'll put the effects on and then I'll turn them off. Mm-hmm. Just, to, just so I can like play the audio. Like I know when I mix it down, it's going to be fine. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I did that with, there was one... Uh, there's a, a client that I had where someone who for like almost 200 episodes had never done a remote record. It was always in person. And uh, so like remote recording was a very new thing. They had their uh, their phone right next to their interface. And so there was like GSM noise. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, well, I can certainly make it quieter. I can hopefully make it so it's not so <laughs> obtrusive. Uh, but what ended up working is the D-click in Isotope. Mm-hmm. It made it almost to where you couldn't hear it. But that's D-click I, I've I found is the one that really, really just kills your processor. So do you always run them as plugins? Because most of the time for Isotope, I'll run them in the standalone program mm-hmm. as part of my pre-process. Yeah, I usually do plugins okay. because I want to know what it's going to sound like post-processing, even if I don't leave it that way. When I get a compressor on it and I get it to the level that I like, what does that noise actually sound like? Mm -hmm. Because that helps me set the thresholds and stuff like that differently for what the noise is going to be. If I do that without hearing all of it first, then the settings for the noise reduction, for example, might not be right. And I might have to go back and and readjust. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I've switched to actually. And then if I need to, if I need, because of the voice to noise plugin does not work very well as a plug-in like it's not it's not quite as powerful so if at the end there's still that noise that won't come out although i've been using auditions just essential sound in the essential sound panel and i'll just put a tiny tiny bit of noise removal in that and that usually cleans it up but in if something's like extra bad or naughty then i have i'll just at the end i'll just take it into rx and just run the noise removal and then take it back and, and finish mastering it essentially. Yeah, so. I've definitely done that. And I, uh, if I get something that has uh, clipping in it, usually I'll run, I'll run D clip in isotope standalone before I, uh, before I pull it in. But I, I work really hard to, to coach my clients. Like if you see red, stop, Yes. turn your knobs down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yellow, yellow, good, red, bad. Right. Exactly. And then you have to like understand how to use D clip in order to, uh, to fix it. I just did a whole bunch of, uh, instead of my client paying for a podcast episode, <laughs> he uh, paid for RX tutorials. 
Nice. <laughs> like I made video recordings for him because he had a, his hobby cast. I had a lot of clipping, so... I've definitely done that with prospective clients, people who I'm talking to and they say like, oh yeah, I don't really have the budget for that. And I'm like, well, how about like we jump on a call for two hours and you pay me for that time and I can teach you how to do it yourself. Yeah. So get a little bit of consulting work out of the deal and hopefully like, what is it like rising tide lifts all boats, you know, in two hours I can teach you the most basic of basics that will stop you from making all of the like absolute worst mistakes. Yes. <laughs> that's really smart because like whenever they actually do have the budget down the line, you're the first person they're going to think of whenever they want to outsource it because you've taught them how to do it. Now they know how much work they don't want to do because it's not for everybody. Yep. Boom, you're to get your foot uh, in. I'm working with a client now that uh, kind of went through that process and was like, they had like 15 interviews recorded uh, and they just wanted to do it all themselves and then realized like how complicated it was. And they're like, oh no, we have to hire someone to do this. And yeah. uh, so like I got that whole back catalog dumped on me all at once. It was wonderful. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh I love that. I love, I love projects. Like, <laughs> So what I was hoping to hear was that you had your Twitch streaming process totally honed in. Everything was working perfectly and you were getting clients there because I was going to, then I was going to ask you, okay, how are you doing it? Because w when I fire up the Mac and I drop OBS or um, Ecamm Live or StreamYard or anything on that process and try and do audio, even Zoom, my fan starts to take off and fly to Mars. Like it just, huh. it, it goes insane, right? Because it, it's processor intensive if I'm running Chrome. Mm -hmm. And then I've also got Isotope and... Mm -hmm. Uh, depending on what I'm running, I might be running the Sheps and I might have the fab filter on there. Like I've got some processor intensive stuff. I've also got mm -hmm. a master channel. And if mm -hmm. I'm trying to, and I, I like to mix to master so that I can hear what the final is going to sound like. Same. I do the same thing. Okay. And so that takes a lot. And I've wanted to stream more live editing because I, mm -hmm. I like the interaction. And I like being able to do that. But I also, I can't stand the noise because I, I don't know what I'm not hearing. Yeah, I definitely like I noticed like things running a little slower when I was doing it. It, it wasn't quite that bad. Uh, I have a, a 2017 MacBook Pro, so it's not like the super latest and greatest, but it's it's a decent machine. Three years newer than mine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what I did as I, uh, you know, I did a, a window capture in OBS and had uh, uh, and had audition up taking up the full screen. And then I did a um, video capture with my camera and just kind of had a little uh, square there. And what I was doing to make the, to make the audio less complicated is I was actually, uh, running the, the monitor out of my Apollo twin into this crappy little Behringer USB interface. So kind of like sending a mix down to that little interface and just sending that interface into OBS to get the mix of my, uh, of audition and my mic into the stream. Cause that was just kind of like the quickest way that I could think of to do it. Cause audio routing in OBS gets a little bit weird. Um, like if you're on a PC, you can use voice meter and that can kind of like take over the audio of your computer. There's not without spending money, there's not a super, a, a super related way to do that on a Mac. Uh, so that was like the quickest way that I, that I could think to do it. And it, I mean, it worked, but also like, I just, like I know lots about the technicalities of how to make a live stream happen, but in terms of like promoting it and stuff like that, I'm like, I made a Twitch channel. Here's the link. I'm going <laughs> to do some stuff. And, uh, <laughs> it's just like podcast editing in the title. Um, I, you know, I'm sure I could like do like categories and stuff like that to figure it out. But, uh, yeah, if, if I can figure out a way to make it suck less on my processor, I might do it a little bit more. So yeah, that's something that I'm, that I'm thinking about. Uh, but I also like, 
there are a few of my clients that probably wouldn't want me to use their stuff in that way. And so I like, obviously yeah. I wouldn't do that, but I mean, I also like, I mean, I spend two full work days on my show usually. So like that's content. Yeah. yeah and I just want to like emphasize that do get your clients permission before oh, yeah. you oh, yes. stream the editing. Cause that's not, I mean, mm-hmm. people may not always think to do that and not because they're, you know, being mean or anything, but just because, you know, we're editing all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I have, I have one client in particular who she interviews a lot of authors about their books and stuff. And the episodes are timed to coincide with book releases. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's all kinds of stuff with mm-hmm. that. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to send you the audio and you can do what you want with it. <laughs> yeah. And like they're paying us to cut out all the things they don't want the public to right. hear. Right. Yeah, broadcast exactly. that to the public. Yeah. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they tell a side story about that one time they kicked a puppy or something. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> and then you hear on the live stream, yeah, Callie, please cut that out. I don't want anyone to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had one that I was editing. It was a subcontracted thing about mm-hmm. a year ago. And it was supposed to be just a light touch, you know, just intro, outro, pull out the long pauses. But I saw this section in the middle that just looked really weird. So mm-hmm. I went and looked at it, and it was a part where she stopped and yelled at her kid. <laughs> and, and so I contacted the lady at the media production company that I actually worked for. I said, I'm taking this out. Like, this is clearly not part of the content, but we need to make sure that she lets you know if this happens in the future. Because if I hadn't seen it, this would be there, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be my fault. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but this would devalue her in the eyes of her listeners or the ears yeah. of her listeners. That, that's a calculation that I've actually had to make because I've had people ask me, like, you don't even have to listen to the whole thing. Can you just make it sound good? And I'm like, I mean, in theory I can, right? Like if I know what kind of mic you're using and it's not, so, if it's not like a built-in computer mic, I can probably get a decent mix on two voices in like a half hour. But like, I have my name attached to this. And at that point I'd want to be like, so like anyone who listens, can you just emphasize that I just did the mixing and I didn't do the editing? (laughs) (laughs) Like in in cases like that. Um, and so I, I, I'm usually really hesitant. Uh, I'm like, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I'm going to have to take the time to listen through the whole thing. Yeah. And I've, I've run into things like that stories that I probably shouldn't tell on a live stream, but I have definitely <laughs> run into situations where that would have been 100% relevant. <laughs> yeah. Once we stop the recording, we'll, we'll go through all that. <laughs> yeah. So in the chat, Gary commented that he instantiates all isotope stuff that doesn't require a standalone. Gary, I got to be honest, you, you I, I I don't know what that means. I need smaller words, but I'm, I'm really interested to know what you're doing because that might be the answer to my question. Uh, so if you can if you can pop that in, like uh, seriously, I'm quite interested, but I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Context clues doesn't require standalone instantiate meaning using it as a plugin. Maybe I, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping. Well, yeah, instantiate as in an instance of. I think yeah. That, yeah, maybe that makes sense. See, I need smart people around me to tell me <laughs> tell me yeah. what to think. Yeah, that's an in, uh, instance plug-in per each track end effect. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. thanks, Gary. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, we all man. learned a new word. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, no? I actually I had to sound it out in my head. That, like yeah. this is, it's a little bit late. That's it's how all we good. Roll. Um, that's why it took ten minutes to get to it because he's trying to sound it out, make sure he got it right. Now you know. <laughs> you know. So you, you had also commented a little bit about shows that brag that they don't edit. Can you share with us a little bit about what you mean? And we, we'll have a fun chat here because I'm waiting for this one. Okay. So 
I have very strong opinions about lots of things in podcasting, and this is one of them. Um, there are people who can do live very, very well, like live to tape. Uh, you know, people who are experienced in radio obviously are like very practiced at this, and it's a skill that they have cultivated, and all of that's fine. But most people, frankly, are not and do not have those skills. So, you know, in, in podcast groups, so often I hear it, like people seem to wear it as a badge of honor. Like, I don't edit my show. Um, and that just seems like such a weird flex to me, like to brag about how little work you put into your show. And, you know, I, I try not to judge because I think if you put in a ton of work on the front end and preparation and like preparing your questions and having all kinds of talking points prepared, doing all kinds of research on your guest and learning how they talk and all of that sort of stuff, it's definitely possible to do that well. Uh, and if there, I'm sure there are tons and tons of people who do it well. Um, but yeah, it's, that's not often the way that I see it expressed. Uh, and I just think... I definitely think of podcasting as uh, as an art. I know not everyone does. Um, obviously, like editing and mixing and audio engineering is an art in itself, but podcasting is a, is a specific form of art. I think. In um, I love. Uh, yes, Gary said the same way where the <laughs> I don't spend any money badge, uh, yeah. which is different from saying like you know if you don't have the cash for gear that's fine. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars in gear, um, but also to like wear that as a badge of honor and like look down on people who do like no that's not cool. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's weird to me how, uh, people are like, yeah, like I spend exactly an hour on my one hour long show and then like want other people to then give them time, uh, because you're, you're bragging about how little time you put into your show, uh, which signals to me that you don't care that much about it. Uh, but then somehow are expecting other people to care about it and listen. Um, and I just... I just can't get into that. Like I, I, I get the light touch, like just killing like the long pauses and the truly distracting stuff. Like I'm, I'm into that. Um, because some shows have that vibe and I get that and I respect that, but yeah, it just, it, it bugs me and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that, um, people want to do something like that and then brag about how little effort they put into it. I just don't, I don't like it. No, I want to see their download numbers. <laughs> that's what, that's what I want to hear. Like, if that's the attitude you take, then you know how successful are you? Because I have, I agree with you all the way, Callie. Like, this it is an art, and you aren't a. Most people aren't good interviewers, especially when they first start podcasting. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, because I think about Joe Rogan who just will sit and talk for three hours on a live stream and the conversation goes where it goes. Although I know he's a done prep work and been talking for, I don't know, 20, 30 years now, like professionally. So he didn't just show up one day behind a mic and, you know, turn out to be really fabulous. It was something that he spent a long time crafting to be able to have these engaging conversations. Yeah. If I ever get invited to give a talk at one of the big podcast conventions, spoiler alert, the first slide in my talk is going to be in text. You are not Joe Rogan. I did that on my podcast. <laughs> You're not Joe Rogan and that's okay. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, I have my own opinions about him as a person. Well, I, I'm just, using him as an example because he's like the popular like Gary being bad is just fine but you have tools to make yourself sound not so bad that's exactly it and, and it and you can I mean you can make something cool with 
you know, like a, a 20, a $50 USB mic and audacity. Like you can make something cool with that. If you know what you're doing, you know, I've, I've been doing this for like five years and there's still stuff that I'm learning and stuff that I feel like I'm bad at. That's, um, something that I took from when I, the, the one positive thing that I took from playing sports in high school was, uh, one of my coaches was always like, always be a student and everything you do, just keep the mentality of always being a student. And that's like one of the most valuable lessons I've ever been taught in life. Uh, cause I, you know, I, I mean, in comparison to a beginner, I know a lot about what I'm doing. Uh, but in comparison to like some of the people that I look up to, I'm a total noob. So that was sounds like a really cool coach because my art teacher said, learn through suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not all about that. I mean, yeah. like, you know, suffering is part of life. And if you can pull positive things out of it, let's do that. But I definitely don't think suffering is necessary for growth. I don't think that's what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference between like an artist and a coach. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, I'm saying that as a person who has built, like I've built my own podcast around most, uh, around a lot of the things that I've struggled with in life. So I'm probably a hypocrite anyways. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't really have anything to add, but just kind of hearing you talk about how podcasting is an art. Tom Kelly just put out an episode on his podcast, Clean Cut Audio, talking about how it's actually been a couple of weeks, but podcasting is a performance and just kind of as you're recording, like be aware of like what it's going to sound like and just do your show with that in mind. So that way, if you make a mistake, like know how to re-record that. So it sounds fluid, but it kind of goes back to like, it's an art, it's a performance. Like there's a lot of people out there that sound like on podcasts that sound like they have this really kind of casual podcast that they don't really try hard. But like they spent eight hours to do an hour long episode because of like how much prep time and how much recording they do in order to make it sound casual. It's like, okay, so I have an analogy and this the women out there will understand. So <laughs> when I did my hair today, I was like, it looks like I didn't try. Although <laughs> there was a lot of work to get you know, it to look like I just threw my hair in a bun, essentially. And I think that's that. I mean, I don't know. You guys probably don't think it's that funny. But well, I, I mean, I remember, I think it was like 2006. And so like, it was right after high school, the bedhead thing yeah, was exactly. huge. Yeah. And exactly. I remember somebody telling us where like they walked in, it was that dorm and they, they walked, <laughs> they walked in the bathroom and a guy was like sitting in front of the mirror for like 20 minutes trying to get like the perfect bedhead look. Because you can't have stuff sticking up all over the place. It's got to yeah. be messy, but it's also got to be like sculpted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, people's minds are often blown because I try to keep like my own show. I try to keep it around a half hour ish, but sometimes it, it varies pretty wildly. Like if I do a solo episode where I'm just like, it's me telling a story and there's a little bit of scoring and sound design, sometimes it can be 10 or 15 minutes, but I can take like 25 or 30 hours to put together a 15 to 20 minute podcast episode and people's minds are blown when they mm-hmm. found that out. Oh, but, especially sound design. I've spent like 12 hours on a three minute <laughs> <laughs> little comedy yeah. sketch so mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and, and it's and it's that energy like i did an interview with someone who was a uh I, I i play roller derby well i did before all of this and will after but i was uh interviewing somebody about someone who had a very poignant story uh relating to roller derby that would take a long time to recount here but you know, the interview was two hours long. The episode ended up being 45 minutes. And, uh, you know, that was a solid, probably 40 hours worth of work to get mm. there. You know, so the, 
most podcasts don't do that kind of thing, right? Like most podcasts are just like conversation interview and maybe cut some stuff for runtime or whatever. But yeah, that's part of the, where I say, like, I feel like a lot of podcasting is art. Uh, that's specifically why like figuring out what to get rid of and what to keep in and that kind of stuff. And like, I try to bring at least a little bit of energy to all of the shows that I work on that way, even in terms of like, just kind of giving like little tips here and there to folks about like interview techniques and like things that they can say to get guests to open up a little bit more. And then I have a couple of clients who pay me on a level where I, I do a little bit of editorializing and I'll actually say like, oh, like they went on this tangent here. So I'm going to cut that because it doesn't go to the flow of the story and stuff. And so, uh, so yeah, very much, very much an art and very much worth putting that level of effort into, I think. So I'm going to kind of go back to one of the comments that Gary just left in in the comments. Being bad is okay. Accepting it is not. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel about the totality of the production, right? So in my mind, there's potentially an inverse relationship between the amount of time that goes into the preparation and the practice and the presentation as compared to the editing. One of the most outspoken proponents of I never edit anything in the podcasting space that I know of is Todd Cochran. However, what people forget is that he's invested thousands of dollars in gear and has been doing it for 15 years. And yes, he never edited an episode. And yes, he says that so that people feel like they don't have to. But by the same token, I mean, we, we are literally talking thousands of dollars of gear, thousands of podcast episodes. And yes, he doesn't edit. But at the same time, you look at that and you go, okay, but you, you put in the time. You you did start out potentially bad. I don't know. I haven't been listening for 15 years, but clearly he didn't accept it or he wouldn't be running multiple computers and multiple cameras from a Skype session to make an interview that he's then able to run through a really quick process. So I'm very much in the camp of do whatever you can in whatever stage of the production you can to make everything as good as possible. And for most people, that's going to include editing. I know it does for me. It doesn't matter how much time I prepare. I'm going to screw something up. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, you know, editing isn't just post-production, right? I also think, and I mean, we can like quibble over terminology. Like it's probably not editing technically, but like in terms of getting what's good on disc, I do a lot of editing in my head when I'm personally interviewing people. And, and I ask my clients to do the same thing. And, and it's hard because obviously you want to, as an interviewer, you want to pay attention to what your guest is doing, but it is, you know, people say like, well, it's, it's just a conversation. Like it's not, it's right? It's not. Like, Thank you. <laughs> when you have a microphone in front of you and a record button is hit, it becomes something more than a conversation. And so that's got to be somewhere percolating in your mind while you're recording. And I'm a big proponent of people learning to edit in their heads as they're interviewing and as they're talking. Especially like if you know that you're not doing anything in post-production except maybe like tweaking some uh, mixing a little bit, you know, you want to be thinking about like, what is this going to sound like? Especially like if you're on camera, what is this going to sound like when someone can't see me and someone can't see my guest? Like I make a funny face on camera, but I don't say anything and you all laugh, right? What's the listener going to think about when that happens, right? Like the laugh just comes out of nowhere and that takes them out of whatever's happening. So those are all, you know, things that I ask folks to consider. And so that's like, I don't know, I guess like pre-editing, I guess is what you could call it. But that's something that I, I think about a lot and that I encourage my clients to think about too. And that's, 
you know, interviewing is a very specific skill of its own. Uh, and I always tell people like, if your guest is not giving you what you want, don't be afraid to interrupt them. You don't have to be a jerk, but you can like, oh, let's pause on that for a second. Or like, oh, before we get there, let's talk more about this. And that's, I mean, it, when you do stuff like that, it generally speaking will give you less work to do on the back end. And so like, yeah, like, so if you're not going to edit after the fact, you should definitely be putting in a lot more work on the front end, thinking about the flow of the conversation, the way things sound, all of that sort of stuff. Well, that goes back to post-production only fixing so much Mm -hmm. and that, that interviewer skill. So it is a skill to be able to talk and think and listen and think about what's coming next and what to actually follow up on. Right. Because I, I get mad when people, uh, you know, they're reading from like an outline or like they have all their questions scripted. <laughs> and so their guest says something incredibly interesting. Like, I don't know why that horse owned a house. <laughs> and then they, uh, they say, um, what's your favorite color? And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, can we go back to the horse that owns that house? I mean, <laughs> you, you realize you're <laughs> describing the first 75 episodes of my first podcast, right? So thank you so much. <laughs> <for that>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hard. But it's a skill. I mean, it's something you have to develop and be aware of. So you need editing is not the end all be all of everything. So you need to be aware of the, I don't know if it's pre-production. What, what is that called? Yeah. I guess pre-production is kind of an umbrella term for a bunch of different things. Definitely everything part before of that post. Yeah. 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 Well, cause I mean, I think about that, like when I, um, cause I, I do a lot of like coaching of my clients as well, like in terms, cause like, I don't, obviously we're not here to talk about my podcast, but I produce my podcast. So it's part of the thing too. But I always coach my clients to think about, like, what is the story you're trying to tell? And that doesn't mean that you have to, like, keep them on that and nothing else. But, like, just think about the story that you're trying to tell. And if, you know, you're talking about someone's book and they start going off on a tangent about their dog, like, if that's not related, you can you can redirect them. That's okay. But I've also, you know, the flip side of that is someone says, like you said, something super poignant, super interesting. And whenever I hear somebody say something like that, my instinct is to be like, oh, tell me more about that. But you, sometimes you can tell somebody's like looking at a list of bullet points and, okay, cool. I've got the answer to that question. Next question. You know, that's the blessing and the curse of podcasting as a medium, right? Because you can do whatever you want. You don't have, uh, generally speaking, the only boundaries you have are the boundaries that you set for yourself. And that makes it... Uh, it's very freeing and it's amazing. And it's one of the things that I love about podcasting, but it's also one of the more frustrating things, especially when you're starting out and kind of like finding your feet. Well, I feel like, like if you're an artist, you would learn the rules of design, mm-hmm. you know, that's my problem. <laughs> you, you haven't learned the rules of design. Well, it's the same thing for podcasting. There are like rules of design. And thankfully this isn't something in a volcano or in a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> in a volcano. <laughs> Yes. Tell wow. us more about the uh, volcano. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. In a vacuum. <laughs> so we have other mediums that have been, you know, creating content before us that we can learn from. So anyway. <laughs> so I'm really interested because you talked about coaching your clients around, you know, is this actually germane to the topic? Does this actually matter? And I'm wondering, do you also find instances where you have to coach them about the entirety of their show? Like not just an episode, but the entirety of their show and basically go, your show is, it's about nothing as it stands. How can we make it matter? 
Thankfully, that specific conversation is not one that I have had to have because shows like that get on my nerves. Yeah, we don't need another podcast with two guys that get drunk and record it, whatever. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I know, Brian, that's your podcast. I mean, I'm- it could be four podcast editors who get drunk, <laughs> yeah. five podcast editors who get drunk. It's, it's water. It's water people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have had conversations about focus with some of my clients. One podcast in particular I'm thinking of, I don't want to call them out by name or anything like that, but I, I did have, it's a really cool concept, but I could tell they hadn't thought a lot about who their target audience was and like what exactly they were trying to accomplish with the show. Because, uh, cause obviously like a cool concept is great, but if you have a cool concept and you're not thinking about who you're actually speaking to, then the message can get kind of convoluted and you can spend a whole lot of time doing something that's not super relevant. And what I had found and, and what I told them, I was like, just, you know, as a listener, I'm thinking about, there is 10 minutes of this that I absolutely loved and 30 minutes of this that could have been five that I wasn't super stoked about. But it comes back to the to the target audience, right? So if you're, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of a way to to talk about this without outing my clients because I don't want to. Um, okay, let's let's do a hypothetical. Uh, this is not the niche that this podcast is in, but I thought of a good relevant hypothetical. Say you're doing a music review podcast, right? And you spend thirty minutes just literally talking about the music, right? So there's there's a chorus that says this, and uh, the lyrics to the song are this, and the guitar does this, and the drums do this. And you're just literally repeating what you would be hearing if you were listening to the music. And then the last 10 minutes of it is like your commentary on your thoughts on the music. The commentary and the thoughts are great because you're a very funny person and you have really funny thoughts and you're pointing out some of the absurdities and things that are ridiculous about this thing. And it's really, really funny. But you spend so long doing the sort of rote like, oh, there was a really neat drum fill right before the second chorus and song 10 on this album. If your audience is someone who is like never heard this before and you're literally trying to convince them to go listen to this music, like that commentary might be more relevant, right? But also like we live in an age where you can just go listen to the music. So people are tuning in probably because they want to have the commentary. And so that was sort of a, there was a related conversation that I had uh, with these folks about like who their target audience was, what they were actually trying to accomplish and what they were spending most of their time on that I, I found just as a listener. And that's, you know, the other thing that I, that I coach my clients too, is I was like, I'm just going to name to you 10 podcasts I listen to and love. And if yours is nothing like this, my opinion should mean nothing to you <laughs> because maybe I'm just not your target audience and that's okay. But yeah, I, I have at least a very brief conversation like that, especially if folks ask for feedback, because a lot of times folks will just send me audio and they just feel like, you know, edit out the ums and ahs, make it sound good. And that's all fine. And they've got their niche well-defined and they've got their format well-defined. And I'm like totally in favor of that. But yeah, some folks, especially, you know, cause when I, when I was new as an editor, a lot of the podcasters that I were helping were new as well. And I was not a new podcaster. I had been podcasting for like five years by the time I started taking on uh, freelance clients. Um, and so I had kind of a lot of advice to give in that way. So, uh, so yeah, I do at least a kind of a minimum of coaching with most of my clients. So on a personal level, I'm interested in hearing from Carrie and Daniel also 
if you're able to offer anything, because this is something where I feel like I could do better, but it's not really my skill set. And so I, I'm actually like, this is a real question for me. I want to know, how do you help your clients make better shows as an editor? <laughs> uh, well, I'm trying to think because, all right, so they need to know why they're podcasting first and foremost. And like Kelly said, they need to know who they're podcasting for. So when I do a, a consult with somebody for editing, those are the questions that I ask in a very, you know, not directly outright, but I make sure that I get that information from them to determine, you know, what that's about. And if they don't seem to know, but they still want to do a podcast or there's, you know, they're still doing their podcast, I will then start piecemealing out that information to them because you can't give it to them all at once, but you need, and you need to start to develop that relationship and that trust first before they'll start, start really listening to you and valuing your advice. And I, I do a lot of like, I'll do compliment sandwiches. Like this, this part was really killer. And, you know, I did what I could with this part. It was a little bit weak or, you know, something like that. I'll give some critical critical feedback in a really professional way. And then I'll just be like, but overall, this was just like totally an awesome episode and, and more of this kind of stuff. So that, I mean, that's pretty much how I approach it. I do, there's some clients that don't need coaching, you know, or regular coaching. I have some clients that just, they need a, a lot of coaching. And so one of the issues they have problems with just because I'm like, too nice sometimes same is the the boundaries because it spreads like a virus oh wow <laughs> relevant <laughs> reference <laughs> too soon right so you you have language you use language that way and i'm a big like language geek anyway i'm always talking about language i'm a big fan of using like the royal we i learned that because my my day job before i got laid off and started doing podcasting full-time uh was i was a call center supervisor so the royal we is very popular. Like, so should we have done this there or should we have done this there where like we is a replacement for you? <laughs> and so I'll use that in coaching a lot of times. So it doesn't sound like I'm talking to them specifically about things that they have done wrong. So I'll talk about the podcast or the episode as if it is an object. And so I'll just say like, well, you know, what this episode did here was what this episode maybe could have done better here was. And so it's a little bit less uh, accusatory feeling, I think. Uh, and I've had some success with that. Yeah, because it's their baby. It's totally their baby. And I, I get that a lot. And I get like when they say anything about my editing, I'm like, no, <laughs> not my editing. That's, that's your ears that are wrong. I have. Uh, oh, I have definitely had that. <laughs> my audio did yeah. not clip. <laughs> exactly right and i actually so there was yeah. one time i had a client who like i mean he just complained about like nothing could be right and i'm like he's you he made me question my whole purpose and i literally have like three notebook pages of like things that were in the raw audio that were not my fault like the words dropped or there was a noise i'm like i can't put it back in i mean i could honestly i could put it in i'm not gonna not unless you pay extra for it and after that, he kind of chilled out <laughs> when he's got like a, and cause I made markers too for everyone. So he, and I gave him the session file. And so there are like, I don't know, 500 markers. 
<laughs> and I tagged each one of them with what, what was wrong. It was a giant pain in the rear, but it was worth it. Yeah, I have definitely sent emails like somebody recorded with the preamp volume too low. And so like when you raise the volume, obviously the background noise is like the same level as the voice. And I've definitely sent emails like, hey, like, just so you know, there's not a ton I'm going to be able to do for this. And so I just like, I got it to like roughly the right level, did the best I could with Isotope and sent them like a five second sample. And I was like, this is roughly what this is going to sound like. I just need you to know if you're cool with that, I'll move forward. I'll do the thing. But like, just so you know, raw audio problem, not a Cali problem. (laughs) I've done that too. I had one that was similar and I sent it and I was like, are you sure you want to use this? Yeah. No, I guess we'll re-record. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you have others who are like, "Oh, that's fine." You're like, "That's the worst." Whenever I'm like, mm-hmm. "Are you sure you want to like?" It's a Zoom mm-hmm. call. They recorded their guests through their own mic and just turn on their speakers. It's like this is really bad. I'd recommend just re-recording it. Like, oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Like, okay. Oof. Nice. So, like, coaching for me is relatively new up till like probably this year i've always been like you know they're paying me to edit not to critique them so i'm just gonna like just do my job and then like let them kind of deal with it and then earlier this year my wife joined me full time and she's much better at the less so like i can hear an um and like i could hear like tangible things like okay i need to fix that but when it comes to like strategy and like how to ask a question or like what makes an episode good like she's really good with that so now that she's on board she can handle a lot of that so we do quarterly calls with all my clients so every three months like we'll hop on a call kind of go to the podcast like what can we do better what can we you know just how to change things like any new developments that kind of thing and on that call we'll kind of broach the subject of how can you be a better podcast and like ask better questions or you know, stop rambling and that kind of thing. But one thing that I have to like keep in mind is like with my clients, it, it's very personality based. You know, they're solopreneurs who are like selling themselves. So like their personality like has to be apparent. And a lot of times like they just have this very, like I have one client in particular who just like goes on wild tangents and like you don't know like what the actual topic of the podcast is because what she does But it works for her because, like, her listeners are listening because of her. And she's, like, one of my most successful podcasts, downloads-wise. So, like, clearly something's working. So you just kind of have to, like, be aware of what brings the most value to the listeners. Because, like, as a podcaster, like, you serve your listeners to bring value to them. And, like, you don't want to be too robotic or too stagnant or too stoic whenever like the value is in kind of the personality of the show. Yeah, I do kind of an assessment, which is why I like to do initial consult calls with my clients. And I just kind of assess like, how confident are they? How clear is their vision? You know, cause I have one, I have one client in particular who knows exactly what she wants to the letter. And I get, uh, you know, I, I get a page of like, she'll do the interview and then I'll get like a whole page of timestamped edit points. And then it's, make it sound good from there because she has a very, very clear vision of what she wants her show to be. She's a really, really good interviewer. There's a very distinct personality and all of that kind of stuff. And so like that person doesn't need me to tell them anything aside from like maybe how to like get better audio quality. But like in terms of the voice of the show, in terms of what it sounds like content wise, 
that person doesn't need me at all. So like happy to give my input if they want it, but like they obviously know what they're doing in terms of that. And so that's totally fine. But a lot of times, you know, I do an initial consult with someone and they're just like, yeah, like I'd love to start a podcast, but I have no idea where to start. And that's kind of where I, I get more into the questions like Carrie was talking about. Like, so why do you want a podcast? You know, the, the question that boggles my mind the most is when somebody's like, I want to start a podcast, but I don't know what I want a podcast about. And I'm like, how do you not like what? Like, <laughs> um, because I, I don't know. And, and that probably comes back to the, uh, you know, the perception that podcasts aren't a ton of work and uh, to be good, yeah. they are which is why pod fading is such a, such a prevalent thing. But I'm just like, if you are not like losing sleep over a subject, that's not something that you don't want to podcast about. Like unless somebody's paying you a ton of money for it or something. Like, no, it's, it's gotta be something you can orate about for hours just regularly. I mean, that's... Well, and something that you're like willing to push through all of the bad stuff in life to keep doing, right? I release a weekly show. Uh, I struggle with anxiety. I have bouts of depression. I have trouble focusing. I probably have ADHD. It's undiagnosed, working on finding a therapist. I have to be passionate about enough about something that I'm going to keep making that show through all of that. Uh, and especially since it's a significant portion of my income now. And so like, yeah, like something that you cannot shut up about to your friends. That's like the line that I use usually is like the thing that you annoy your friends because you won't stop talking about it. That's what you want to podcast about. Yes. So I, I have a question, another question from Amina and I, and I don't want to like not answer it. So going back to like, it's a lot of work to look like it's not a lot of work to edit a podcast. Oh yeah. And she asked, how do you convey that to your clients? Sometimes it's hard to explain to them that some things take several hours to do. And how do you charge accordingly? So you want to take a stab at that, Kelly? Yeah. This is going to sound cynical, but frankly, it works. I use a lot of big words often. It's not about deceiving anyone, right? But like the point that I'm trying to convey is that I've been doing this for 15 years. There is a reason that I charge what I do for what I do. You know, it's not just turning some knobs and we're done, right? And so I, I'm usually very upfront if people ask. Uh, I'm fortunate enough, and actually most of my clients, when I quote my price, they're just like, okay, cool. But like if, if people ask questions about like, you know, why does it cost so much, all of that kind of stuff, I'm usually just really, really transparent with, you know, this is what you've told me your show is going to look like. It's probably going to take me X amount of hours to do. This is what I'm trying to hit per hour. And this is all of the stuff that I do in that process. And so I'll kind of give like basic primers on like, cool. So like, here's what a compressor is. Here's what an EQ is. Here's the money that I spent on all of these plugins that like, if you want this result, at the very least, you're going to have to buy that stuff and then spend however long learning how to use it. For me, it's just about transparency and like letting people know exactly what it is. I also will sometimes send like an AB sort of like, I'll pick like a five to 10 second bit of audio that maybe has some problems, like some extra background noise or something like that. And then I'll be like, so here's what it was before I touched it. Here's what it is after. That's the kind of stuff that you pay for. So in that, cause I think that's really a cool idea and interesting, but where do you get the audio? Where do you get the raw? I mean, is it raw audio? Or are you pulling from like their podcast and maybe I have one it? client in particular who's given me permission to do that. 
And so I'll just take like 10 seconds from an episode because I save everything that I ever do. And so I'll just grab like, oh, like there was the guest on this one show that had like a cat in the background or something that I can go back and I can do an AB and do like, here's five seconds of before and five seconds after. And like, here's the difference that I can make doing that. Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, I have said to clients, I've spent a thousand dollars on this one particular program to get rid of these noises that you have or although I probably don't do it as often as I should. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. One time I sat down and added up the cost of the software and training and basically came up with, okay, well, it's going to cost you about eight grand and five years. Right. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that's, that's what I I spent to go to the recording workshop. If memory serves, you know, and then I've got like my computer, however much money I've spent in software. I I mean, I could probably sit down and do that math too. I've been doing this for almost six years. And I mean, that's what I did, you know, to get my first client, because obviously I didn't have any client stuff. I was just like, listen to my show. This is what I do. (laughs) And that's how I got my first client. Because actually, my first client was a listener of mine who uh, I just kind of said, hey, like, I'm thinking about doing freelance stuff. And somebody was like, I've been thinking about starting a podcast. And so, so yeah. So I have one more question, but before I do that, I just want to give a huge shout out to Jennifer Longworth, who you can't see and you can't hear, but she's joined us today in the chat and she's the one on Facebook taking care of the trolls and helping us see the questions and stuff. So (laughs) thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Now, Callie, I'm wondering, is it okay if I put you on the spot for just a second and ask you for some feedback? Is that okay? Absolutely. All of us are editors. And we all have our preference for how we receive files and the process of like how we go through the editing and, and how things could be better. And I'm wondering, as you think about process, file delivery, the actual recording, all that stuff, what feedback would you give us about what we could have done better? So honestly, the process that uh, that you all used was the same process that I use with my clients. <laughs> I usually ask for delivery on Google Drive. The only thing that's different, and obviously I like I'm not editing stuff for you guys regularly. So I mean, normally what I do is I make a folder in my own Google Drive and share it with them and just ask them to upload their audio. And then I have my email set to notify me when uh, changes are made to those files. And so like I get a little email when somebody's uploaded stuff to me. And so yeah, that's I, I don't have any critical feedback about that. Bummer. I was hoping to get better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, I've I've had folks send me files via WeTransfer before, which is, I mean, you know, that's fine. In terms of process, that's the, I'm, I'm big on not making extra work for other people. Uh, So Google Drive is a thing almost everyone is familiar with and almost everyone already uses, including me. And so it's a couple of bucks a month to up your storage. So you've got enough storage space for stuff. I've not really had any significant problems with it. And so, yeah, folks just upload to Google Drive. I download and I don't have any gripes about that process to think about how it could be done better. Okay. I was hopeful, but, you know, (laughs) I guess then the other question is, did I come out as the king of the ums this time? (laughs) Oh, God, you know, I should have kept track. You should have done an um track. (laughs) This could have been fun. I will tell you something that I had had trouble with, actually, Carrie. I I need to send an an invoice to your cat. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes, there's the kitty right there. They hear me talking, and they're like, oh, we're talking now. And, you know, now it's part of my brand, so don't even. (laughs) Something that I really... Really, really try to keep an keep an ear out for when editing is continuity, and so with most conversation based shows, that's not super uh, not a super big problem because you're just removing crutch words. 
But in the course of recording, you got interrupted by your cat. <laughs> and it was really, really easy to edit that part out. Um, so the conversation seamlessly transitioned from one part to another. Somebody with a super skilled ear might be able to hear that edit, but most people would not notice it, I don't think. But there was a part later in the conversation where someone referred back to that interruption that now didn't exist. <laughs> that's the fear, right? <laughs> yeah. And so that was a bit of a challenge. And that's something that I try to coach my clients too. There was one uh, specific interview that I got from someone where uh, somebody's internet crapped out at the very beginning of the interview. And they were kind of laughing and joking about it. And the guest made reference to this book something about dealing with adversity somehow. And I was like, yeah, like we're having one of those moments. All right, cool. Yeah, fun. Let's get onto the conversation. And so again, very easy to edit that part out. Uh, you edit the whole thing out. And then they spent a whole like two or three minutes later in the episode talking about that interruption and the, the lessons they learned from that book. I kind of had to have a conversation with the client because in terms of the mission of the show, that discussion was super relevant. Like I would have felt terrible to have had to cut that part out completely because it was a very poignant moment in the conversation that these folks were trying to have. And so it was like, the best thing that I could think to do is I like, I kind of have to deliberately leave this technical error in because there's no way to make the continuity work if I don't. It's either leaving the error in and you know, shortening the silence from like 15 seconds to like three or four seconds of silence. Like I listened to it. Basically, I was like, I closed my eyes and I was like, just at the point that I think that I started to think like something might be wrong. I put it like half a second before that. So listeners wouldn't be completely taken out of it. And I just like had to tell the client, like, I think that's the best way to go. Because if I, if I completely remove that at the beginning, I have to remove that or people are going to be really confused about something that happened. So that's something that I coach my clients to a lot is continuity. Just be cognizant of things that come up in conversation that get referred back to later. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, it's great. No, it was, it was a good challenge. I uh, get to you know go in and you know do the little uh, the brush and audition with the noise removal. Because uh, there were a couple couple of points, like I couldn't get it completely, but I made it uh, the the meowing a lot quieter than it would have otherwise been. I feel um, bad for Steve because, like, not only have they been meowing, but my kid was talking. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm like, it's quarantine. There's not, you know, there's not a lot I can do. Well, right, so, <laughs> that, that's a conversation that I've also had with folks. I was like, listen, I think folks are probably going to be a little more forgiving at this point in history. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness for that. That's a good point, Carrie, you mentioned Steve, we should probably, as we're coming up to the end of our time, we should probably talk about, you know, Callie edited the episode that either goes live today or in the next couple of days, whenever we get our hosting stuff figured out and huge thank you to Callie for doing that. And also for being a guest, but we have somebody else that's going to edit this episode and then do the next interview. So Carrie or Daniel, who of you wants to talk about that? So it's actually none other than the Steve Stewart of Podcast Editors Club. The Steve Stewart. The Steve Stewart. The Steve Stewart, the father of podcast editing. Um, and we're going to be talking about what an editor is, what an engineer is, and what a producer is, and what they are not. Well, that won't be a controversial conversation at all. About in the Podcast Editors Club not too long ago. So. Mm -hmm. I have been talking about this literally for like two mm -hmm. or three years now. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. This is my language thing. And I'm looking forward to this one as well. Yeah. And it's just like with podcasting, it's not a new medium by any stretch of the imagination, but like it's just now hitting the mainstream and just 
becoming what it is like with professional editors like it's just kind of like maturing at this point and it's just up in the air of like obviously like these words all have meanings in other industries but like what does it mean for podcasting so it's really interesting and i'm excited to kind of like be part of that when there's unique overlap too because there's so much overlap between podcasting and radio especially now with like a bunch of the npr shows in the podcast world and a lot of those folks doing new podcasts there's so much overlap yeah that's an interesting conversation yeah it is crazy. And everybody thinks they know what the word means and thinks they're talking about the same mm-hmm. thing. So even in an editor, like there are different types of editors. Callie, what you're doing with your show compared to what I do with my clients, like it's completely <laughs> different type of editing. Yeah, that's exactly it. When I ask my clients, like, okay, so what kind of editing are you looking for? They're like, what do you mean? Yeah, there's kind of <laughs> editing. Like... <laughs> yeah. And it's easy to forget as an editor, like they don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of yeah. people are looking at podcasts, like they're brand new to us. So they don't know the nuance and like the terminology that we've kind of grown accustomed to. Yeah. They have no, no clue. So you have to, we have to do a lot of education with clients. And if somebody in the future wants to be the next, next guest, what do they need to do? I'll direct that one to Daniel because Carrie looks like she's doing something. (laughs) (laughs) I got to do is go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com and there is a link at the top that says be a guest. Click on that, fill out the form, let us know why you want to be a guest and what you want to talk about, and then we'll put you on the schedule. And I think, Carrie, you had done a survey about topics that people were interested in. Is there anything that we, is there a way for people to give us that feedback as well in case they haven't already weighed in on what we might talk about in the future? So you can actually leave a comment in the Facebook group if you're watching there now. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can DM us on our Facebook page. And you can email us at... Um, yeah, at podcastmasterminds.com. Uh, <laughs> Podcast Editor's Mastermind. What is it? Say that again. <laughs> yeah. It's on the website. Just go to podcasteditorsmastermind.com. <laughs> you find the email address there. And click on the envelope. Or yeah. just find any one of us, you know, myself, Carrie, Brian, or Jennifer, and just send a message to us. So, Callie, thank you so much. This has been truly delightful for me. I've really enjoyed this, and I've enjoyed learning from you. And also, thank you for editing. Huge, yeah. Huge benefit yes, for thank us. Thank you so much. And it's also great to hear what another <laughs> editor does and kind of compare notes. So that, that's that been really appreciated by me. Do we want to introduce each other on the way out as well? Oh, Callie, tell people where to find you. I forgot about that. Yeah. And tell us about your your podcast. Oh, yeah. So uh, podcastthatdontsuck.com is my uh, my business site. You can find samples of my work there. Uh, I try to make podcasts that don't suck. Uh, <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Best name ever. <laughs> yeah. And then my podcast is called Queersplaining, uh, queersplaining.com. It's a narrative type show about uh, LGBTQ stories of all various different kinds. Um, so yeah. And I'm, you know, Callie Wright on Facebook at Callie Gets It on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm in all of the places. And yeah, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. I, uh, I don't really have anyone in my like immediate local social circles that I can like in person geek out about podcasting with. And so it's one of my favorite things in the world to get together with a couple of folks who are, uh, who are like super passionate about podcasting. It's my favorite thing in the world. Awesome. Well, we'll have to have you back in the future because yeah. I super enjoy talking to you and I want to talk more about the nuances of the content, of the editing. It's like late and that's not really clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, the pacing and the flow, those kinds of things. And the 15 minutes on one breath. I literally yeah. in my last episode spent 30 minutes figuring out what to do with a single breath. 
And and I believe that. And so my talk at Podcast Movement was was basically about the art of editing an interview. So thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Daniel, do you want to tell us where to find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, rothmedia.audio or at rothmedia underscore audio on Instagram or Twitter. And you can find me at yayapodcasting.com. And I'm at Carrie Eric on Instagram and at the Kelda Kitty on Twitter. And of course, links will be in the show notes, so you don't have to spell any of that. <laughs> and I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com. I don't have anything fancy to say on the way out, so just thanks for joining us. It's been great to have you. Oh, don't forget Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm not showing up, but I'm here. Okay, well, tell us who you are. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Longworth. You can find me at bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com and on most social media at kypodcasting. Uh, um, so how much is that? I um and um I just I know like um and then um 